and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Uh, This morning, normally, my name is Kurt, for those of you who are visiting, I'm the lead pastor, and normally I would be up here teaching, but our teaching team is made up of Brendan, Roger, and myself, and so Brendan, this is his first time in big church. (laughs) And he said, you're scary. No, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, I wanted to pray with Brendan before he, he taught this first time. I can tell you he's a student of the Word. He is somebody that takes God's Word very seriously. Um, he's done the work on this passage. He's a very good uh, communicator, and he will present well to you this morning. I'm excited for you to get to see Brendan's teaching style. Let me pray with him right now. So, Father, we thank you for who Brendan is and the man that you've made him. We thank you for his love for your Word. We thank you that his Spirit is present in his in your Spirit is present in his life. Uh, it is equipping and empowering him. And God, right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be moving powerfully to make the the truth of what your Word is to us so real. Um, and that we would long to be examined by your word and then live in line with it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kurt. Um, yeah, so as Kurt just said, I'm the next-gen pastor here at the church. That just means um, I'm responsible for teaching, discipling, equipping middle schoolers, high schoolers, college, and young adults. So uh, before we dig into today's passage, I want to share a couple things with you. First thing, a week from tomorrow, um, our high school youth group is going to be heading out to Yosemite for a retreat for a week. And so if you could just keep us in your prayers, if you've seen Yosemite on the news, it is absolutely beautiful, but absolutely unpredictable at this time. And so um, just pray that we're able to go out there. We're able to accomplish our mission on spreading the power of truth, equipping these young minds and um, we can kind of get our mission accomplished that way. Another prayer request I'd ask is two weeks following that, our middle school youth group is going to be heading out to Heartland Christian Camp, which is out next to Hume Lake. It's like in the mountains above Fresno. Um, Once again, it's camp season, so it's really a good opportunity to be able to um, speak to these young minds, this next generation, help build their faith, and then also help bring them to maturity in Christ. You know, I didn't I haven't seen the Walker presentation before until this morning before the first service. And it was, it lines up perfect with what we're, we're talking about today. We're talking about the power of the word of God. We're talking about the power of truth. And then you see these people going out to the ends of the earth and you see them going out and they're giving up. They're humbly receiving the word of God and they're going out and they're translating it. They're doing it because they understand the power of that. And so that was a really encouraging thing as I was going up. I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool that it kind of lined up that way. Today we're going to talk about how the Word of God is living and, and effective, and I think that's a perfect example of it right now, that we understand that we get this amazing example of these missionaries that are out there doing that, and then we're going to learn about the power of that in our lives. So today we're going to be finishing up chapter 4 in Hebrews, verses 12 through 16, and before we kind of dig into it, I want to uh, go over a couple talking points that um, we've gone through so far in Hebrews to kind of help you understand the application for today. Uh, first thing is the author and the readers of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews, as a reminder, is unknown. 
No one knows. Some people think they do, but no one knows who the author is. A lot of people think it's Paul or Apollos, or there's, there's actually a whole list of what it, what it comes down, but really it doesn't matter in the end. Um, if you were to ask me, I'd probably think maybe Paul because it has some of his writing styles in it. But really what's important is to understand is who the book is being written to. And so this book is being written to these first century Jewish people. And we can break those people up into three different categories. The first are these first century Jewish people that didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah. Even though their prophecies predicted it, even though it fulfills everything they had, they were still struggling with their belief in the Messiah. The second are these, of these first century Jewish people are, are ones who did accept Christ. They accepted him as the Messiah, but they weren't willing to let go of the law. They were still following the same rituals, the same everything else, and it became, it came, it boiled back down, it came to a faith issue. And the third are people that are on the fence. Now, it's interesting to kind of ask ourselves, well, what can we learn? This letter is written to the first century Jewish people, but to be quite honest with you, it's the same thing that's going on in this room here today. Some of you are not accepting Christ as the Messiah. You're not accepting the word of God as something true. Some of you have, but you haven't submitted to it. And some of you are maybe on the fence. And so today we're going to talk about exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these people on the power of the word of God. So he mentions the authority of Jesus. It was pretty common during that time to believe that the, 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 even the Messiah was at a lower rank than angels. And so to remind them like, hey, this guy came down to a human level, was put to death lower than a human level, submitted himself to it, and was raised right up to the right hand of God. He is God. And therefore, what he says needs to be an authority in your life. He mentioned Psalm 95. If you were here the last few Sundays, um, it kind of sounded like re- repetitive. I was like, okay, we, Psalm 95. But it was really important because it, it talks about the impact of belief and then also the power of his rest. I did a topical study with our youth on joy, and there were two words that seemed to be pretty conjoined when we talked about joy. The first one is hope. The importance that hope and joy are connected. And then the third one was rest. So to think about the rest that was promised for people who are waiting for the promised land and compare that to the rest that we are promised now as we live in this very restless world. And then think of the importance that that could be sacrificed because of unbelief. He talks about some warnings of unbelief and examples from the past. For example, he talks about, remember the Israelites were led out of Egypt and, you know, part of the Red Sea and miraculous things happened. And it was amazing. And then immediately they were doubting God. Then immediately they're struggling with this belief. How silly are those people? And then he says, that's kind of what you guys are being right now. And we can look back a few thousand years ago and be like, how silly are those people? They're around eyewitnesses of Jesus's resurrection. We, they were around all the fulfillment of prophecies and everything, yet they still struggled with unbelief. And I can't help but wonder if we're still around in 2000 years, if once again, people are going to wonder that about us, especially with where we live. We have freedom to spread this. We have freedom to live by this. And yet we still not to, we choose not to do it. We live in current cultures that highlight the word of God as truth, yet we still struggle to follow it. And so the, the first half of what we're going to be talking about this morning is a warning half. It talks about the importance of unbelief and sin and how God takes that very seriously. And some people try to water that down because it's not the most friendly thing to talk about, but they also ignore the second half of it, which talks about how God takes grace very seriously and how that is very important as well. So we need truth. 
Truth is something. Truth and hope is something that we are created to have. And when we don't have it, we may search for anything else out there to kind of fill that in. And we see that happen in culture all the time. So what's important is we need to make sure it's actual truth. I'm going to read from 1 John. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We talk about the sway of the evil one in the world, right? We talk about these false hopes in the world. We see that false truth is of the world and it comes from the evil one. You guys got a youth pastor teaching this morning, so you guys are going to get a youth pastor analogy. And it fit perfectly. I used it for um, joy and happiness. Um, But a fun fact, if you didn't know, a raccoon likes to wash its food. Courtney's already laughing at me. It likes to wash its food before it eats it. So someone thought it was funny to give a raccoon a piece of cotton candy. Oh, spoiler alert. There it is. <laughs> Look it, it looks so good, but that, that's it. <laughs> it's like the funniest, saddest thing I've ever seen in my life, but how are we going to relate this to the Word of God? Well, I will tell you. <laughs> All right. That is what we kind of see when it comes to false truth of the world. It tastes good, it looks good, it's inspiring, but when it comes down to it, it can't face the elements that we see. And so that's how we can distinguish the difference between false truth of the world from the evil one and actual truth as of God, because one is eternal and one is temporary. False truths of the world change all the time, every 20 years, and that's something that we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll dig into our verses here. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everybody here pray today we'll be able to better understand you. Pray that we'll better understand your heart for us and, and your, your will to save us, Father. Um, we just pray that you'll take away distractions, open up our hearts, and edify us. And Father, we pray this in your name. Amen. So he immediately starts talking about the power of the Word of God. So the Word of God is living and effective. And NIV describes it as alive and active. So he says the Word of God is living. It has the power to give life, restore, and be a foundation. I I always kind of think of an example, and I've read in some commentaries where like the word of God is described as a redwood tree. And if you know anything about a redwood tree, I don't know if you've ever seen one before, they're really tall. They grow up to like 300 feet, but they start out as a little seed. And if it gets everything it needs, it can grow up and it can be pretty remarkable. And so that was a description I heard of the word of God. I thought that was a pretty powerful thing, except the word of God is much more powerful and much more complex than that. It has the power to give life. How many people out there are living without true life, living without true hope, living without true rest? But this has the power to give it. Um, think of your favorite novel, if you read. I, I can't think of one, but Lord of the Rings seems like a pretty popular one. But think of a novel, you know, or whatever it may be. Yes, it's entertaining. Yes, it's great. But does it have the power to give you life? Or is it something you read for entertainment over and over again, where we see the word of God has the power to give life. It also has the power to restore you and it has the power to give you a foundation to stand on. When everything else is temporary, it will be eternal. The Word of God is effective, it's active, and it's constantly at work. Uh, For our high school retreat, we're studying uh, walking with God in hard times. And that's actually the number one question, or the number one question that's actually asked with our next generation is, how can a good God exist with so much bad in the world? 
And it's a pretty good question. But um, so we're doing this week-long lesson in it. And, uh, you know, I, I went through the book of Job again. And that's kind of a good example of a man who went through so much hardship. And you read this long chapter. And then they ask, you know, is God really just? And, or is he really in control? Or maybe you're being punished because of all the sin you had and all this. And then you get to the very end and you're like, oh, God's finally going to give an answer. And he's like, you know what? I'm much more complex. You can't even understand how everything works. My justice is so much more complex. My word of God is so much more complex than that. So it is living, it is effective, and it's something that we need to trust. Truth is not black and white. Um, We can't say it is this or that, but we do know truth is the same. So what does the word of God look like in our lives? And that's an interesting point right there because how I used to picture the word of God working in my life was based off of how many good works I did. Or look at my past and just be like, Oh man, you know, if God's going to judge me on my past or if God's going to judge me of my core apart from him, that's a very scary thought. So I tried to start rethinking that. And it actually came to me one day that instead of thinking about how God would look on you based on your past, how would your life be different without the word of God in it today? I can tell you it has shaped my marriage, shaped the way I parent, my children, it shapes the way I budget, all, all, everything. It, it becomes a part of it. So reflect on how that's different. James 1 tells us, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So remember to not fall victim to the unbelief. This is where we kind of bring culture into it a little bit. Because we see the evil that is so prevalent. And, you know, we're in the month of June right now, and there, there's this, this thing, Pride Month, that's going on everywhere. And, and I saw this video online of an elementary school. And, you know, they had it all decorated for Pride Month, and they were singing to the kids and doing all this stuff. And honestly, it reminded me of when I was in elementary school, except we did that with Christmas. But now we don't do it with Christmas. We, we allow these other things in. And it kind of shows how this moral filth, which is a very aggressive term. And if you read the book of James, he's pretty straightforward with this stuff. And then we see that the evil is very prevalent. Look in that valley, look in that valley. You don't have to look far, you'll see it. Yet we're told to humbly receive the implanted word. That means that the word becomes an authority in our life. We don't live for ourselves. We don't put anything between ourselves and God's word. It becomes the authority in our life. And to humbly means you have to set aside what you want. You have to set aside your pride and everything else. An implanted word. We see, we know from scripture that the word of God is now then written on your hearts. It affects your decision-making. It affects whether or not you're glorifying God in a moment. It affects everything else because this new thing pops up when we do that called conviction. If I make a decision that's not glorifying to God, the implanted word is going to let me know about it. But the really awesome thing about the word of God being alive and active is that it's able to save your souls. That's where we see hope. That's where we see joy. And that's where we see rest come from. We continue on the word of God and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit joints and marrow. So this double-edged sword would have been a good description. Um, The Romans were very good at, 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 you know, mastering weapons for warfare and that's what it would have been described as. Also a lot of times it was used as a weapon for execution by beheading. But in the contents of Hebrews, as long with this theme, there's this underlying theme that is an image of execution of judgment on the one who does not believe, but not limited to. Um, we see that it penetrates between the soul and spirit. And, uh, you know, the soul and spirit are interesting because those words are used interchangeably throughout the Bible. Um, I don't think there's an exact person alive that knows the exact difference between those two. But Kurt and I sat down and we talked about it for a long time and we got a little descriptions up there. But really what we're seeing here is it's not really about that, is it cuts down to the very being of who you are. Past the flesh, 
past everything else. It cuts straight down to your heart. God sees our hearts. His word can't be faked or changed. There were many, as there are today, that showed belief on the outside, but inside their hearts were not with it. We need to be followers, not just fans of Christ. And so that's kind of a good reminder to understand that the word of God cuts straight down to the core of who we are. How does it do that? Well, first, the word of God cuts through unbelief and sin. And that's the first thing that it talks about that's, that's kind of very direct. So is you can't hide unbelief. You may be able to hide it from people around you, but you can't hide it with God. Unbelief is an interesting thing. And, and don't, don't take it to the bank because we know the scripture tells us if you have as much faith as a mustard seed, you, know, you can move mountains into the ocean. I don't see very many mountains moving around anywhere. So we got to look at the examples of how Jesus dealt with people. There were a lot of good people in society that he dealt with, and we're going to talk about one in a little bit, um, that their hearts were not in. And then there's people that were bad in society that their hearts were with it. It cuts straight down to the core of who you are. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according his, to his way, according to what his actions deserve. Therefore, God sees straight through. The word of God also cuts through culture or worldly teaching that opposes truth. Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade. When the breath of the Lord blows on them, indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. When I deal, well, I shouldn't say deal, but when I, when I talk with people who are struggling with false truth, they're struggling with popular concepts and culture, and you, I don't have to mention any of them, you could just know them or think of them because you see them everywhere. The question I usually ask them, I said, would you believe this if you existed 60 to 80 years ago? And a lot of times the answer is no, because that's not what was popular in the culture during that time. So would you rather believe something that's temporary, something that changes every 20 years, or would you rather believe something that is true, that is the same yesterday, today, and forever? It cuts straight through it. Now there's a time in Revelation where we're told that being a Christ follower will almost be at the point where you won't even be able to function in society. And no matter how much fluff, or cotton candy, if you will, they put over it to hide it, it cuts straight to it. Truth does not change. Truth is the same. It cannot be changed. The word of God also cuts through deception and spiritual attacks. Um, I went to UNR. I'm actually a business management major. And uh, that was a really hard time for me because that was a time where I really struggled with my faith because um, I felt like every class was aimed at attacking my faith. Even if I took accounting or finance, I was like, why, what, what is, what is, you know, credits and debits have to do with heaven or hell? But apparently we can find ways to do it. But, you know, and I, I kind of came out with the perspective that UNR is kind of like the atheist factory. It kind of it kind of molds that. It molds that false truth onto people. But the word of God cuts through these deceptions and these spiritual attacks. Ephesians 6, in every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. We hold on to that. In this world that is chasing false truth, in this world that is trying to bury actual truth, the word of God, we can hold on to it. We can take up our shield of faith and we can extinguish that, even when it feels like you're losing. Jesus never told us being a Christ follower would be rainbows, unicorns, butterflies, all the time. <laughs> so it's going to be a challenge. Prepare. You're swimming against the culture. You're swimming against the prince of the power of the air. But we are given a shield of faith that can help protect us from deception and spiritual attacks. The word of God also cuts through hopelessness and brokenness. Many of you know, um, my wife Heather and I lost our son in January. He was two weeks old, and he was a twin. And um, 
you know, during that time, you know, there was some high-risk stuff going on before he was born. And after he was born, we were in the hospital for a couple of weeks while he was alive. And uh, we finally found ourselves at a place where all we could do was trust God, that he will make everything okay. And that's all the only option we had. It was like, what else, where else are we going to go? What else are we going to do? And then he passed away. And then the same principle applied once again. Because there's nothing that brings you to the very core of, who the, wor- of, of, of the power of the word and the power of truth than situations like that. It takes away all the fluff. It takes away everything else. And it makes you question what's going on. And once again, we are faced with the same thing. All we can do is trust God. It cuts through hopelessness and brokenness. The way I would describe it is um, if we're going to understand how God's work, it work works, it gives us a peace that is something we can't understand. And during that moment, it's like we're, we're standing in this pool of sadness and almost hopelessness, but we're standing on a rock of truth that we hold to. And if we were to take that rock away, we would sink into this hopelessness. So the word of God cuts through that. There's no promises that that water is not going to be there in our life, but there's promises that the word of God stands even in those situations. I love this verse. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my strong home. Hold. I'll not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And what an amazing verse that is. If we hold the truth, there's no false truth of this world. There's no other direction in this world that's going to offer you that. Continuing on. The word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the word of God is able to judge. In the end, there will be you, truth, and judgment. No matter what self-reliant, false truth you built your morals and spiritual self on, it will all be temporary. Everything's temporary, except for the word of God. This is always a scary example when you kind of think about um, that things will be exposed. And we kind of look at characters in the Bible who are actually in the presence of God, and most of the time, they faint, they tremble in fear. And yes, I'm sure a lot of that's equated to just being in awe of this giant majestic being that is beyond understanding. But I think part of it too is being in the presence of something so holy and pure and you being enlightened of how you don't measure up to that. So to be exposed for the sin you've committed can be a scary thing. And it's important that we take this seriously here because God takes sin very seriously. Therefore, God knows your hearts and thoughts. And if you're like me, that's kind of a scary thing without the next few verses. (laughs) So it brings us back to, it's a heart issue. Luke 18, we talk about the rich, rich young ruler. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know that, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told them, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. So we see it as a heart issue here. Now, a lot of people will read this verse and they automatically run away with, a, oh, being rich. That, that's the problem right there. But what we're learning here is the word of God cuts down to the very heart of what's going on here. This individual was an outstanding individual in society. I mean, all the commandments listed here are dealing with other people. Oh, do you love other people? Do you do this? No, I I did all that stuff. Okay, what about this one commandment on coveting? Are you willing to 
to give that up? Are you willing to humbly receive the word of God and give that up and make the word of God an authority in your life? And he walks away sad because he can't. I think it's interesting that if we just go to the next chapter, we talk about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was my type of guy. One, because he was short. And two, um, he, he just seems like a very energetic guy. Um, but basically, just right after this, um, Zacchaeus climbs on a tree so he can see Jesus. And he was also a rich man. He was a chief tax collector. And so he climbs on there to see Jesus, you know, and he, he talks to him. He says, I'm going to give all my money to the poor. And then Jesus says, I'm going to stay at your house tonight, which is kind of weird today if you go up to someone and say, hey, I'm staying at your house. But back then, it was a great honor. And so we see the difference of these two, that someone was still seeking to have something between them and God, whereas the other one is seeking eternal life. They're seeking truth. They're, see- thinking, they're seeking something that is eternal. It says to him, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Verse 14, therefore, so therefore the word of God is alive and active, has all this powerful stuff. You can't hide the intentions of the heart. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So it's interesting that the high priest would travel through the three areas of the temple, the outer courts, then into the holy place, and then into the holy holies to present this atoning sacrifice in order to kind of be made righteous, in order to kind of meet to level with God. But we have a great high priest now that has passed through the heavens, the atmospheric heaven, he rose up, the stellar heaven, and into God's home after making a perfect sacrifice. So if you read these verses, like I said, it's kind of scary. Like God knows your heart and you take away everything else that's going on. You can't really hide anything from God. This is like, he's saying basically therefore, but also thank God we have this high priest here who has done this. So let us keep to our original conviction, right? If that word of God is implanted in your heart, and you're making decisions or you're putting something between you and God, there should be that, that trigger that goes off. I'm not glorifying God with my life right now. I'm working against the word of God right now. And so we hold fast to our confession in that because if we hold fast to our confession in that, then we hold fast to the atonement that Jesus gave us. First John 2, he himself is an atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but also those of the whole world. So where does that leave you? Remember, he's kind of writing to, he's writing to everyone, but he's kind of writing to three main topic people here. People who believe in Christ, people who don't believe in Christ, and people who are on the fence with that. He's not just an atoning sacrifice for people who are in the Christian club right now, but rather for the whole world. And are you someone who accepts that atoning sacrifice? Are you someone who makes the truth culture cocktail? You put a little bit of culture truth in there, and then you take a little bit of scripture you put in there, you blend it up, you make a nice little smoothie that tastes really good. But it doesn't it doesn't last. It doesn't hold to your confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus understands our hearts. He was tempted, but never sinned. Chapter two tells us that as well. But we got to remember the word cuts through to the heart. Everything is exposed in its light. So thank God we have Jesus who knows what it feels like to be hungry, who knows what it feels like to be thirsty, who came down to a human level and then worked his way back up to take us back to truth. Everything is exposed in its light. The word of God exposes it. Thank God we have a God who understands our struggles. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. 
So God takes grace seriously. I talked about how God takes sin very seriously, and he does, but he also takes grace seriously. And I kind of stole that from Kurt, but that's okay, (laughs) from Revelation. It says that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Now, that boldness is not like barge in there, feel comfortable, raid the fridge, put your feet up, do whatever. No, no, it's a boldness to believe and understand that instead of standing before the throne of God and trembling and falling because you've been exposed for who you are, you can, you can approach it with confidence in his truth that he saved you, that you are covered. At the throne, you're either faced with wrath or faced with grace. It kind of boils down to that. And I like how it uses the word, the author uses the word, words, um, throne of grace here. Because it's almost like you're before, either before a throne of grace or you're before a throne of judgment. And one of those is very scary. And what he's saying is, since we have this high priest here, don't fall into any area of unbelief. Because then you can approach the throne of grace with boldness. So the power of truth. So what truth do you stand on? Do you stand on the word of God? I know sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's not like, oh, I'm perfect at this, but do you stand on the word of God? Is it an authority in your life? Do you look back on your life and see how the word of God has shaped you? Do you stand on popular truths in the culture that are, that are from the evil one? Or do you just kind of stand on whatever feels good? You stand on both. And then the other question you should ask yourself is what confidence will you have before the throne of God? When everything else is cut away, it's a scary thought. And God's wrath is pretty serious. God's wrath is very serious. For the non-believer, God's wrath will fall on them. And for the believer, God's wrath will fall on them. But the difference is for the believer, it already fell on Christ. And what an amazing thing the power of truth teaches us. Again, I'm going to repeat this again in 1 John 5. We have to make sure it's actual truth. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. And so the importance of making sure that the word of God is an authority in our life and that power, the power of the word of God is something that we put first in our life is very important. So the power of the truth should bring us to the power of his grace. What an amazing thing that is. I've seen people teach this before and they really lean heavily on like, you're sinning, you're horrible, God's gonna smite you. And then I've also seen people teach this like, ah, it's not so bad, God's grace. (laughs) You know, it covers it, you know, don't really stress too much about it, but what we see here is it comes down to a heart issue. It doesn't come down to either or. It brings you to the power of his grace. And, and unbelief is kind of like a, is a double-sided coin because we, have, we, we talk about the unbelief and the problem of people not believing the word of God. And then you kind of flip it and they believe the word of God, but then they don't believe that his grace is sufficient for them. So I leave you with one of my favorite verses from Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far as re- has he removed our transgressions from us. And if you look from the east to the west, that's a long way. It keeps going. As long as you believe the world's around, it keeps going. (laughs) If not, you kind of fall off. But (laughs) it keeps going. It is very far. So therefore, no matter how bad you messed up, you turn your life to Christ, you receive hope, you receive joy, you receive rest, it's because that's how far away it is from him. And what an amazing thing this is. God takes sin very seriously, but God also takes your grace very seriously as well. So to conclude this morning, there's one truth that can't be changed, altered, or avoided. You can't rip pages out of the Bible you don't like. You can't take a Sharpie and, and block out what you don't like. It can't be altered. It can't be avoided. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. doesn't mean it won't stand when everything that's temporary will fall apart. God knows our hearts. His word will expose any unbelief. 
And thanks, thanks to Jesus for, for not just leaving me alone on my heart because that is a scary thought. But thanks to him who has grace that makes it, it and gives it worth. If truth doesn't change you, question whether it's living and active. Are you a fan of the truth or are you a follower of the truth? Have you submitted to it? Give thanks to Jesus for saving us. This is why we worship up here. This is why we have a worship team. Through him, we have nothing to be ashamed of before the throne. And what an amazing thing that is. Because we talk about the word of God cutting to the core of who you are. That is a scary thing. I know it's scary for me because the core of who I am in the presence of God is a scary thing. But we have nothing to be ashamed of through the throne through what Christ did. And then don't fall into unbelief that God's grace is not sufficient for you. It's also another spiritual attack that we see a lot of times happen. Jesus suffered so much to save you. Don't let anyone undo that. So the word of God has to be number one in our lives. I'll leave you with one quick example. Um, at, the, at the beginning of the year when I'm teaching middle school and high school, I put this lesson plan together and I have this great master plan about how the series are all gonna flow together and we did parables, we did some culture shock or we did talk about like abortion and homosexuality and all the hot topics in the culture and then we talked about some themes in the Old Testament and then we did some topics. We did death, anger, perspectives, attitude, joy, and worship. And I was like, you know what? We're going to teach them about the, the kingdom of God, which is a great thing. And that's going to be, that's just, we're going to highlight it and teach them how to get there. Cool. But coming out of this semester, I was like, wow, God totally used this plan for his own will. It totally changed. And not just in one vision like I had, but the way different people came out from it. We taught them about the truth, the power of the truth and how it needs to stand in culture. Last August, I came up with the concept, walking with God in hard times to teach high schoolers, and God has not put me through anything harder in my life than he has the last six months to help prepare me for that. We see the word of God is living and active. It cuts to the core of who we are if we live in his will and we trust him with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for who you are. I pray that we'll all have a genuine relationship with you, that our hearts will seek you. You'll be number one in our life. We won't get hung up on works but rather we'll get hung up on relationship, Father. Pray that we'll live our lives to glorify you. And I pray that we'll believe your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you so much for your word that's living and active. It's something that edifies us and grows us, works with us till we die on this earth. And Father, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.